Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. I want to welcome all our guests today. I'm Callie Boatwright. I'm the president and CEO of the Greater North Fulton Chamber and delighted to have um, our esteemed panelists with us today. This is a, a large panel with a lot of great information as we're all getting back um, to whatever that new normal may look like. I know uh, the chamber staff has been back in the office for two weeks following, of course, all of the guidelines. So even I'm very eager to hear what our panelists have to say as, as any business owner is as we look at, at what the uh, next few months look like for all of us. I want to also welcome our Leadership North Fulton class, which is joining us today as part of their last day of the program. Uh, I want to also thank uh, our, our sponsor for today's LNF class. Uh, we have HLB Gross Collins, who is sponsoring our full day, of which this is the first part. Um, and so just a few instructions and housekeeping things. Everyone has been muted upon entry uh, we ask that you please keep your microphones on mute so that we can avoid any kind of background noise. Of course, if you have a question for any of our panelists throughout the program, please use the Q&A feature that you can find right at the bottom of your screen. Uh, we will address those questions at the end of the presentation. And of course, we'll get to as many as, as time allows us to get to. It is now my uh, pleasure to introduce our, our sponsors. Um, I want to thank first our media sponsor, Business Radio X. John Ray is on with us. This re webinar recording will be available following the presentation. And of course, we'll send an email to all of you with the link. Um, and the link will be available in our Chamber Link e-newsletter, which goes out today, um, as well as our website. Our forum sponsor today is Georgia Power. Georgia Power has been a faithful partner of the North Fulton Chamber, and we appreciate their support of all of our programs and events. Uh, Misty Fernandez is on with us this morning and will be facilitating. She leads customer service and operations activity within the North Fulton region. Uh, Misty will be serving as a moderator for our HR panel today, and of course, we're excited to have her with us today. Misty is also in our Leadership North Fulton class, so uh, I know your classmates are glad to see you as the moderator today. Misty, thank you, and thanks to Georgia Power. Take it away. Yep, my pleasure, Callie. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this esteemed panel this morning. It's my pleasure to be with all of you and to be bringing greetings on behalf of Georgia Power Company, where we deliver energy to over 2.6 million customers across the state of Georgia. And it is our goal to deliver um, clean, safe, reliable, and affordable energy across the state. We are also deeply invested in the economic growth and advancement of the North Fulton region and proud partners of the chamber for a very long time. I also would love to give my own shout out to my classmates from Leadership North Fulton and uh, very much looking forward to graduating and being part of the 2020 class. All right, but we have a great panel of human resource executives today, so let's go ahead and get started. Our first panelist with us this morning is Michael Young with Alcon, who I think we're all, Ch Callie charged us to just imagine what Michael looks like this morning, so we've all got our different versions of Michael's image. Uh, Michael's passion has been to connect with people by connecting to the hearts and minds of all of those he encounters. After developing talent in several, of, in several departments across several different industries, Michael began working with Alcon in 2016. Today, Michael is the HR site head for the Johns Creek Alcon location, where he continues to connect opportunity to Alcon's vast talent pool. Michael, thank you for being with us this morning. As the HR site head for Alcon, you were tasked with the undertaking of protecting your employees as they are returning to the workplace. Do you have any advice, best practices for our members as they are bringing employees back into the office? All right, so first and foremost, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining the call today. I apologize, I'm not sure why we're having technical difficulties. Uh, I can see me, which I don't need to see me. I wish you guys could see me, but uh, I'm just kind of like my picture that's out there. So that said, uh, again, thank you. So the question, uh, is there any best practices for the members of the greater um, North Fulton County Chamber as you guys begin to bring your employees back? I have just a couple of thoughts. Uh, that I thought about what we are doing here at Alcon as we seek to bring our employees back. And then, you know, I, I guess the first thing I would say is just as an employer, uh, the first thing you need to do is take your time. 
I think that's most important. We don't need the rush to bring our people back. I do realize that some people have been furloughed and we want to get them back to being employed, engaged, working if possible. But if you have a workforce that is remote and working, I would encourage you to continue to keep them remote until you know this uh, thing with coronavirus, COVID-19 really clears down that we have vaccines and we really understand uh, what the future might look like. So again, first, first advice is really just take your time. Uh, the second advice that I have really is about communication. I would just really communicate with your employees on what you are doing as an employer for their safety. And they should know that their safety is number one in your mind as you seek to bring them back. When employees feel that you have their best, best interest at heart and not the revenue generation, uh, they're more likely to feel that you've done the right thing and they'll feel comfortable coming back into your space. So again, the second thing is just communicate and communicate with transparency with, with your people. The third thing that I, I, I would recommend is that we follow all our federal, state, and local guidances on what that looks like in bringing people back. For Alcon, we do look at what the federal government is saying. We also look at our uh, state and local governments. And then we have our global uh, health, safety, and environmental teams that guides us as well. And we are in the process of putting together our plan of reopening what that looks like for us in four different phases. And as we look at those four different phases, we talk about at least a gate of two weeks between each phase. So like some of the states, uh, like some of the local city municipalities, that's the thing that they're doing as well. They'll do a phase and they'll wait at least two weeks before they seek to do another phase. As well as businesses, we can learn a lot from what the federal government and state, state and local governments are doing. So I would encourage you guys to do that and follow that process as well. The, the uh, fourth thing that I think about is how do you as an organization plan to uh, make sure that you can account for social distancing in your respective brick and mortar locations uh, if you don't want people to continue to work remote and you want to bring them in? Uh, what's gonna be that new norm of social distancing? How do you plan to screen your employees with temperature screening What's going to be your guidance that you set for that? The WHO, World Health Organization, and CDC have set a standard of 100.4 uh, as guidance. Uh, will you set even a higher standard from that? For us, ours is 99.5 because we want to catch it well before it even gets to 100. Uh, what's going to be your protocol? Uh, how do you do that with temperature screening? Do you have enough devices on hand? Who's going to do those temperature screening? Will you outsource that to medical practitioners? Will you outsource that to your security team? Will your leaders be doing that? And then making sure that you just have enough uh, personal protective equipment gear on site for more than just the 30 days if you're coming back. Uh, and all of that goes back to the first point. Take your time uh, in doing this. Don't rush to bring people back and everything. So that, and how do you plan for contract uh, tracing? If by chance, as you bring people back, someone later now is found to have had a COVID-19, how do you trace that to others that they come in contact with so that you can notify them so that they can be tested or that they can self-quarantine for the required period of 14 days? And then the, the fifth thing that I, that I put down here is after you've taken into consideration all that, is just really reevaluate your plan and reevaluate it often. Have a team put together of key stakeholders that, that is with you as an HR practitioner or as a general manager or the site head, whoever you are. Uh, don't let it be all your decision in what's happening. Put a team of highly qualified leaders uh, um, with you and you guys think about what this should look like, how it's going to work for your respective organization. And then you guys can reevaluate constantly. Are we doing the right thing? Is this the right time? What are the numbers looking like in the respective counties that we're in within a 60-mile radius, within a 100-mile radius? Are we ready to go? And then just overall, think about what does your, quote, new normal look like? And are you saying that we're going back to normal or are you saying we're going to go forward to normal? 
because I don't think that we're going to have a quote back to normal. We might be looking at what is the new forward to normal and what that looks like and how we operate with each other. So those are my advice just on, you know, uh, things that you need to do that you need to think about as you're seeking to bring your employees back. Great points, Michael. Anything from Alcon's perspective, any lessons learned so far in this process as you've developed your reentry plans, anything that you could share with the, with the member businesses? I think the, the one thing that we have done well from a lesson learned is to be prepared. Um, we are the vision care side of Alcon. We have a surgical side as well. And because a lot of our sister sites were going through this before the U.S., uh, because most of our other main factory flags are in Asia and Singapore and uh, Malaysia and Batam, Indonesia, they were, uh, their respective countries were beginning to close down before the U.S. got hit really bad because they're Asian countries. We took their, their lead and, hey, guys, what are you doing? What are your country officials telling you, uh, your municipalities? What are you guys doing? And as they began to buy PPE, we and John Street began to buy PPE before a lot of our sister sites here in the U.S. did. So I think that our site was well prepared uh, with the pandemic to get out there, get on the forefront, work with our procurement department, uh, work with our respective suppliers and vendors to get the things that we needed so that we were able to uh, provide N95 masks as well as surgical masks to our associates. Uh, we began in-house because we have an R&D facility on our campus as well to create our own sanitizer so that we place those around all of our campuses so there's sufficient amount of what we do there. But those are some of the, I think, great lessons learned that, that we took to heart, that we jumped on top of, and that we executed. But I will tell you, the best thing that I think we've done is the second point that I talked about, and that is communicate, and communicate with transparency. I, I can't tell you in the beginning how many associates were frustrated. Why do we have to be at work when the government is saying we should shelter in place, that we should social distance, and then just explain to them why we were essential business, helping them to understand that you work in a sanitized environment prior to COVID-19 and the extra measures that we've taken since COVID-19 to assure your safety as uh, paramount number one, like we've always had safety as key, uh, just explain that to them. We've created different means of communication, whether that's via email, whether that's via uh, video messaging that we've done, posting on Yammer and things like that. We've been very scripted as well as transparent to our associates on what we're doing, why we're doing, and the impact to them. And then just, just lastly, uh, best practice, you know, even if you do all that, there are people that are still uh, afraid to come in. So from an HR perspective, we put a lot of pay guidance in place on how we would deal with associates that still did not feel comfortable coming to work. And I think those measures have also eased the fear of people wondering, am I going to be terminated if I don't come to work when I'm fearful of my life, when I believe I'm in a high-risk category and I want to follow the guidance given by the federal government and the state and local government to stay at home. What is my employer going to do? So we've not penalized our employees for that, and we've allowed them to make that conscious decision for themselves if they can or cannot work. Uh, and if they can't work, instead of penalizing them with attendance occurrences, we just say you can take the time paid or take the time unpaid until you feel comfortable returning to the office. Very good points, Michael. I couldn't agree with you more about communication probably being our most precious commodity during a crisis. So thank you for those points. No I'm going to switch over to Custom Human Resource Solutions. I'd love to introduce Julie Smith. Um, Custom Human Resource Solutions provides HR strategy and practitioner services to small and medium-sized businesses. Julie is the president and CEO of Custom Human Resource Solutions and has been practicing HR for more than 30 years. She has earned a BS in business management an MBA with a concentration in human resource management, and also holds advanced HR designations, which identify depth and breadth of HR knowledge at a national level. Julie provides industry commentary on multiple media channels, such as CNN Online, Georgia Public Broadcasting, and NPR. So Julie, we're very, very um, grateful to have you with us this morning. Michael just shared some great best practices about employees physically returning to work and things that employers need to consider. 
Would you share a little bit about employee benefits and things to consider around reinstating employees? So, uh, first of all, thank you, Misty. And uh, Michael, thanks for your comments. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly uh, with all of them. Um, I just wanted to uh, kind of reiterate on the reinstating employees uh, and your thought um, about taking your time. Uh, I agree with that, uh, making sure that you have all your ducks in a row, if you will, uh, but making sure those plans are in writing, uh, that you're putting a comprehensive plan, not just what you're doing as an employer for PPE and your employees' protection, but are there any operational changes that are occurring? Um, We have a client that owns a series of uh, health clubs, and we've just put together a very comprehensive plan of now what happens when, uh, you know, somebody comes in or somebody wants a a member, wants a a tour, how the tours are going to be handled, uh, equipment that's engaged, equipment that's not engaged, cleaning procedures, um, and then providing training to your employees, no matter how many you have, on what this plan is, and then holding them accountable as you go forward uh, to following uh, the new normal, you know, uh, as it's been so often put. And so having those in writing and that documentation is important with your employees, but also with the general public, with your community. Um, then, you know, you might uh, post uh, information on your website or uh, posters inside, you know, other than the federal and state required posters uh, related to COVID-19, but, you know, different laminated posters, notices, um, inside your uh, work location, especially if it's a location that has uh, customers uh, coming in and out, like retail or you know fitness. Um, so regarding benefits, uh, it's so I'm I am an HR uh, professional. I've been doing HR forever. I'm not a benefits specialist, but what I do want to say is that uh, any any actions that you take regarding uh, your benefits, you should definitely check with your uh, broker with your providers. Um, many providers are uh, relaxing some of the requirements, specifically how it relates to uh, minimum number of hours a week a person has to work to be eligible for benefits. Um, we've seen providers that are allowing um, continuation of, and not through COBRA, but for the employer to continue to cover benefits for a period of time, even if the employee is laid off or furloughed. And a furlough is not a termination. It's not a separation of the employment relationship. It's an unpaid leave of absence. Uh, but benefits are being covered through those um, those unpaid periods. Uh, someone who's laid off is completely separated from the company. And some providers are allowing uh, benefits coverage um, you know, through a period of time after the layoff through this crisis, as long as the premiums are paid. And then you have to look at, too, like if you have an employee who's on furlough, they're not collecting a paycheck, um, you know, the employer can still collect the employee portion of the premiums. And so addressing how you're going to do that, you can't do it through a payroll you know, deduction if they're not receiving payroll. And so what we're seeing is that um, most companies are covering the full expense of the benefit during that period. And then, uh, you know, we'll come up with plans on how to recoup the premium once they return to work and are receiving paychecks. So um, there's uh, uh, more and more um, relaxation in the areas of making uh, changes to benefit plans mid-year. Uh, and there's a lot more flexibility if you have a self-funded plan than if you, you know, are not self-funded. Uh, so definitely these are conversations to have with your carrier and with your broker. Um, but there are a lot of changes, you know, with how benefits is being administered uh, through this process, through this crisis uh, that we have never seen before. And so, um, and these, the COVID-19 response changes are, you know, these are changing day by day. And so um, these are important conversations to have, and especially before an employer makes any kind of change to terminate benefits uh, under a qualifying event, have a conversation with the broker. The uh, employee will likely be eligible for COBRA. 
Uh, so you want to make sure that you're offering, uh, you know, fed Cobra is at 20 or more. And uh, Georgia has a mini Cobra plan that covers employees uh, from two to 19 uh, employees. And so Cobra coverage uh, is likely going to be required if you terminate the plan. So one of the other areas I wanted to get into a little bit is the FFCRA, which is the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And this uh, this came out in March. Uh, for now, it goes until December 31st. Um, it's a federal rule. And it covers uh, absences. Well, it, it covers emergency paid sick leave and extended FMLA. And so for those of you who are, you know, know anything about FMLA, uh, it's, it's one of those things where uh, everything you know, you thought you knew about FMLA is changed now. The number of participants and the actual specific rules are in relationship to some very specific things. But with the FFCRA, um, so this covers emergency paid sick leave and extended FMLA or expanded FMLA. Uh, the emergency sick leave is only for if you are positive for COVID-19, you have an employee who's positive for COVID-19, they're caring for someone who is positive for COVID-19. Uh, they're showing symptoms and waiting for treatment or waiting for a test, or they've been ordered to quarantine by a medical provider or by um, you know, a, a specific government agency that's ordered that person to quarantine, different from a stay-at-home quarantine, like a, a, you know, citywide or statewide stay-at-home quarantine. Where we're seeing these uh, quarantine orders are usually a high-risk, somebody who's high-risk, diabetes or 65 or over, or some other, you know, maybe heart condition or um, cardiovascular something uh, that makes them high-risk and their doctor has prescribed them, has required them not to work uh, because the risk of getting a fever is too high. We would you know, exacerbate um, other the other medical conditions. And so then that's a doctor's note. The doctor requires them to be out and that would be covered under the FFCRA. So on the emergency paid sick leave, and one of the things that I wanted to um, point out is less about what it is and more about what it isn't. And so uh, we've, we're getting a lot of questions right now about um, my employee, uh, you know, I have work available, I'm reopening, and my employee's afraid to come back to work, which is reasonable. I mean, it's a scary time to be out in public. Um, but the FFCRA does not cover sick leave for somebody who is afraid to come back to work. And so, like Michael said, we're encouraging our clients to be as flexible as you can, uh, you know, allow them to use their PTO, allow them to take, you know, an unpaid leave for another 14 days, or and you have, really have to look at what you can afford to do, uh, both operationally and financially, um, to make sure that you're covered when you reopen. But if you have an employee who is capable of working, um, but doesn't want to come back to work for fear, that's not uh, covered under the FFCRA. You'd have to come up with other options on how to pay them. Um, another thing that we're getting is um, uh, my brother's wife uh, works for a company in their home and uh, the owner of that company tested positive. So I'm exposed. And uh, I can't come back to work because I'm exposed. I want to self-quarantine. So the truth is, is that we're all probably exposed at some point or another. You know, it depends on if we're wearing our own protective equipment. If we're wearing masks, we're wearing gloves, we're washing our hands. We have to be responsible for our own um, health. Um, but that is another thing that is not covered under FSCRA. So uh, if you went to Starbucks and you you know, got your coffee through the drive-thru window, you could potentially be exposed in that way. And that's not going to protect you or provide payment uh, for taking uh, 10 days off of work. Um, so that's, you know, another, another thing that is not covered under the F FFCRA. So um, the 
Uh, one thing that I don't know that many people know is that if you furlough an employee, which again is the unpaid leave, they're not receiving pay, but they're not separated from the company. If that person experiences an event that's covered under the FFCRA, they become positive, they're showing symptoms, they are still eligible for FFCRA pay. So even though they're not currently working, they're still employed, which means the FFCRA would cover uh, any related absences. Uh, the other piece of the FSCRA is that uh, expanded FMLA, which is the uh, for childcare. So if you have a child who is, um, their school is closed or their childcare facility is closed due to COVID-19, uh, that's covered under the FFCRA. And so they get, you know, uh, 10 days of, what's well, really 14, it's on the weekend, so 14 days of uh, paid leave at two thirds of their salary. And then an additional 10 weeks, if they need it, under the FMLA, so it's 12 weeks altogether, uh, of paid leave at two-thirds of their salary. That first 10 days can be taken unpaid. It can be taken, uh, they can use their PTO. Uh, they can choose to use the emergency paid sick leave portion of the FFCRA or a combination. Like I want to use five days of the FFCRA emergency paid sick leave, and I want to take the other five days of PTO. Um, so the employee has the choice on how they want to handle those first 10 days. Um, so they might want to take it as unpaid because if they use the emergency paid sick leave piece, the next 10 weeks, if they become positive or have symptoms or care for someone who's positive, they will have already used that 10 days pay for the child care that makes sense. And it's, you know, five minutes isn't enough time to get into the, you know, the nitty gritties of it. And then the other thing I wanted to just point out is with unemployment insurance, um, if you have an employee who's furloughed, they're eligible for unemployment insurance. They're probably already filed a claim. Maybe if they're lucky, they're already collecting uh, payments. But if you as an employer reopen and you have work available for that employee, even though the employee, depending on what their status is and how much they earn, uh, could be earning more on unemployment than working at your job, they don't get to choose. Once you have work available and you recall them, the unemployment, they're no longer eligible for that unemployment. So they can't choose like, I'm not going to come back to work right now because I'm making getting that extra $600 for another couple months. Uh, so I'd rather do that. So they, they don't have the choice. The unemployment ends at the point that gainful employment is available. So those are really kind of the, um, you know, just a nutshell a summary, 30,000 foot view of, you know, some of the things that we're seeing um, small businesses deal with. Uh, and let's see. I think I'm just looking at my notes. So, yeah, so I don't I don't have anything else on that topic, but uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. And Missy, I'll pass the baton back to you. No, absolutely, Julie. Thank you. You covered that very well, especially considering how how complicated and delicate it, it, and delicate it is, <laughs> what all the rules are out there and how to bring employees back to work, but still keep their care, you know, front of mind. So there's a lot there's a lot to be thought of there. Thank you for sharing that. All right, let's switch over a little and talk about working in the new virtual environment. So Jim Chachansky is with us. Jim is the founder, president, and CEO of Flex HR Inc. Jim's experience includes operational HR management in 32 countries. He has merged or transitioned well over 350 companies and has served and continues to serve on several boards. Um, he was an inside board member for 17 companies, and he's an angel investor of several Atlanta startup firms. Jim, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, as companies are getting back to work, they may be looking to hire new employees. Can you give us some advice on what virtual recruitment, virtual interviewing, making an offer, and even what virtual onboarding looks like in the new normal? Hello there. Misty, I want to thank you uh, for sponsoring this today, first of all. And also as a member for 20 years, um, I probably speak for all the members. Uh, thank you, Georgia Power, for uh, continuing supporting the, uh, the chamber so well. Appreciate that. 
You know, in the last two months, you bet. In the last two months, we have talked about furloughs and we trained owners what the word furlough meant and what partial furlough was, and also the greater and tougher one, what layoffs are. Some owners took a lot of opportunity here to lay off people that maybe were not the right fit in their organization, or they had poor performance, and or, gee, I could do without this position because the next person I really would want to hire instead of an admin is an accounting manager or something like that. So they were making those type of decisions. And then what happens about a month later after the Family First Act came through and we got used to that, all of a sudden the PPP loan program came about and we all went out and got these loans. And hold and behold, we now have to bring people back to work to get that loan forgiven. And you have to meet some of that criteria, like 75% of loan has to be in payroll expenses. So as we started calculating a lot of these, it's like we have to bring people back. But, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to get my loan forgiven. I have to go hire new people to fill those laid off people or the people that left the organization that I now need to meet and fit that, that uh, loan forgiveness. So believe it, even though we're laying off people, we are hiring, especially in the last couple of weeks. I have seen a lot of uh, new hiring. This is a perfect time to get new blood in your organization. If you were going to be recruiting, people are out of work, they see opportunity, And if you could hire them right away and they know they may be laid off for another two or three months, uh, they want the greener side of the fence and they will go and listen. So this is a great time to do uh, recruiting, uh, even though we are laying off people at the same time. Um, There's a couple of mohills to get um, over in what we now call virtual recruiting. Because most of us are at home, working from home, not at the office. And recruiting usually starts in the same way in virtual uh, situations because the first thing you do is post positions. You post them on your company websites. You post them on all the uh, boards um, from every source that you normally did post before. And then You also usually do a phone interview as the first um, leg in the interview process. So you're going to still do those processes. What then starts to be a little different is you just don't invite that person in the office for that face-to-face interview. So you're going to have to do that virtual. And we're using Zoom, FaceTime, Teams, and all other kind of products like that. I would say Instead of Zoom, actually FaceTime is the most popular in doing one-on-one interviews. It's simple. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody's hooked to FaceTime. It can be done in seconds, and they're on, and they get to see each other and get comfortable with each other. So that's really still the best form. Um, Now, what happens when it's time to say, well, we used to say, well, come on in. We'd like to meet you, and we would like you to meet everybody else. So there's where we get into a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a problem. It's an opportunity, isn't it? Because what happens? We're seeing it already. As we're working from home and we try to call one of our coworkers, what happens? You hardly get them. They're on the phone talking. So now you have to leave messages, emails, chats, whatever type of product you're using to talk to your coworkers. And then by the time they get back to you, by the time you get back to the candidate, we're talking several, possibly several days, at least several hours. And I know when you have a hot candidate, you want to pursue them. And then what happens? You need three or four people to interview this person. Number one, why are you doing that? You do it when you bring the person in. 
you still want to do it when you're virtually doing it. And the reasons are that don't think of it only as you are interviewing that individual. And if I want them, I have them. You got to remember, this is a mutual engagement. That candidate wants to want to come work for you and your company as well. And there's where I'm seeing a little bit of a loss in communication. So you're going to have to work a little harder at informing your coworkers that are going to do the single interviews with that candidate, give them tasks and responsibilities as to how you talk up the company and communicate how the company runs. What is the culture of the company? Um, I have seen some situations where we get on a webinar and we share our screens and we show them some products that we use in that company and other forms and documents that you would normally just show people in a face-to-face interview. So that's another good device to use in this virtual communications area with the candidates. You know, that employee, that candidate, should I say, has to feel good about that company. They're not walking into the office and seeing the lobby and seeing the work areas of the people. So another thing we're doing is doing some videos of inside the building. And you want to capture the fun spots too, like the break areas. If you give free snacks or soda or coffee to the employees, make sure you video that kind of stuff so that that candidate could see some of that reality that they can't see when they're on site. Now, I'm talking about doing all of this off of site, but as we start moving back to work, this is probably a good opportunity to have one or two of your employees come into the office to actually do a face-to-face interview if you're all local, because you could make sure you treat the social distancing, pick a really good conference room that's good size that you could sit across the table that you're at least probably not only six, but maybe 10 feet away from each other. And then do the comfortable things to the candidate as soon as they walk in. Let's let's, uh, be mindful of social um, distancing. I'm not going to shake your hand, which I would normally do, but welcome to XYZ Company. And you take the initiative to make sure that you keep them comfortable instead of having that candidate say, gee, should I shake their hand or not? Or are they going to ask me to? And things like that. So um, make them comfortable as they walk into your office to try to bring the people in. Yes, they're not going to see the whole office um, used. They're not going to see people walking around, but they're at least going to see those few people that they're going to mingle with the most and those that they're going to work with the most, those are the people you select to bring in to have them interviewed uh, together. So those are some ideas about that, um, how to do virtual interviewing. And then the offer, um, you know, I don't think we changed too much because I would say nine out of 10 times we, call the candidate anyway and say, we would like to offer you a job. You have the um, offer letter prepared. You get a little verbal saying, yes, I'm willing. I like the opportunity and I like the offer. Okay. We're going to send you the offer letter now. Please sign it, send it back to us. There's where we get a little more into the virtual world of saying, um, are you set up electronically? to onboard people. Um, My gosh, uh, my outsourcing division and my firm, we've been uh, virtual onboarding people for 20 years uh, in all 50 states. Uh, So it's nothing new. 
Um, it might be new to some of the larger companies that, oh, on day one, you come in, your orientation, you fill out all your paperwork. Well, okay, so that doesn't exist today. We need to do little different things. Um, if you do background checks, if you do blood tests, so um, those could be done very virtual today. Uh, most systems could be sent to the employee's uh, cell phone. They could sign the consent right on the cell phone, and they don't even need a computer to do that. So um, if they're stuck at home and their company computer is at the office and their kids are online training and school and all that at home, <coughs> excuse me, then you just use your phone uh, and accept that. Same thing with offer letters today. Uh, electronic signature uh, type of uh, electronics are available. That technology is easy. It's very economical if you don't have it. So they can go sign those, those forms and get them into you really quick. Um, so people are used to it, but here is the one thing in virtual onboarding that I want you to remember. And that is, don't act too much like a machine, like somebody that can't talk to somebody. Don't make it that virtual. If you send them a packet of information to sign via email or an electronic link, call them up. Say, welcome. I just sent you this link. Let me go through what you're going to experience. You're going to go through these forms, that form, that form. Let me go through some of your benefits, da, 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 da. So do that communication. Make them feel good. Don't let them think that, well, I didn't see anybody. I saw one or two people via video. I haven't seen the office. Now I got this offer. Now I got to fill out all these, this paperwork, I'm not talking to anybody, I'm not getting a warm and fuzzy, they may pull away from the job offer. So as I think we call it in the recruiting industry, keep them warm, make them excited about coming. You have to show that excitement as well, and you have to do it by a phone call, not just an email. Make them feel warm. And as you onboard the person, one of the things that is very, very tough to do in the virtual world of starting people and your start, I mean, I've had a lot of clients that started people and it's like, oh, by the way, you're going to have to work from home probably for the first month or two. And here's a new employee sitting at home and like, now what do I do? So you're going to need to plan in that onboarding experience for that a new candidate that's becoming an employee, how you're going to manage them at home. Here is your day one look. We are then going to do this type of training. We're going to get you this equipment via mail, or we're going to have you stop by the office, pick up this package of your tools, and then you go work from home, um, whatever it is. But again, continually make them feel comfortable about uh, coming to the company and how they're going to get started in this virtual world and life we're living in, and we're probably going to live in for several more months. Thank you. Yeah, great points, Jim. I love the theme that we're seeing among all the panelists about keeping connected to the human side of the people that we're working with. And I think we're finding that through this crisis, Many of us are being more intentional about what that connectivity looks like. Even though we're having to leverage technology, I think many of us in our professional and personal lives are still looking for ways to stay connected as, as, as humans. Okay, let's switch gears. We have two more panelists to hear from, and I want to make sure that we have enough time in the last couple of minutes. I'd love to introduce Sonia Buckley. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. Uh, Sonia is a staffing industry professional with over 20 years of experience in the upland market. She brings a wealth of knowledge in talent acquisition, leadership development, human resources, retention strategies, and building a best place to work culture. 
Sonia has a proven track record in professional recruitment, management, leadership development, and succession planning. Sonia, thanks for being with us. Due to our current circumstances, and as we are moving forward into recovering remote work options, and as we are moving forward into recovery, pardon, remote work options will be a topic that's going to be on the forefront for many of our member businesses. Can you talk about what it means to leave virtual and the challenges that employees are going to face as we go into this new virtual working, as we continue in the virtual working environment? Hey, thank you, Misty, and good morning, everybody. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to spend time with you this morning. Um, I think the reality for most of us, um, or not all of us, is that we will have to provide some sort of remote work options for our employees. I know for Higher Dynamics, we are not typically a virtual company, and we were amazed um, at our capabilities and our ability to be able to go completely remote. And with that comes challenges. But I look at every challenge as an opportunity. And so I think that um, this COVID experience, I think, is creating a lot of opportunities for organizations um, to be able to provide additional options for our employees. And our ability to be able to respond to the needs of the workforce moving forward is really going to be critical to all of our company's success. And really with our current employees, you know, offering additional options, but then our ability to recruit additional people into our organization. And so for me, my topic that I decided to speak on this morning is really our focus has been on working with our leaders, you know, to ensure that they're equipped to be able to lead during times of uncertainty. And so really helping our leaders kind of step into their personal leadership you know, because leadership is not an act, it's really a role. And so practicing leadership agility, you know, the ability to be able to move and maneuver and change, and really modeling that power of vulnerability, okay? Because, you know, our employees, you know, making sure that our employees are heard and taking responsibility for the emotional impact, because everybody is really taking this completely different. So creating that safe place you know, um, providing clear direction um, on goals, you know, coaching our people um, to create meaningful goals, you know, sharing our vision so that it supports engagement within the organization. You know, some of the things that we've done is we've really created, you know, uh, rituals that support the mental and well-being of our employees And so those are things such as huddles with our employees, creating coffee breaks, you know, lunch sessions. We even launched a mind, body, and soul kind of challenge just to support, you know, physical activity, brain activity during this time so that our workforce is completely healthy. And that really created a lot of energy, a lot of engagement. And so when I talk about, and I can piggyback off what everybody has really talked about this morning and strategically over communicating. So you communicate, you communicate, and then you communicate again. And so we are a decentralized organization. And so what we've done is we've created these town hall environments where our executives have the ability to be able to interact with all of our employees. And again, back to that power of vulnerability, you know, we don't have the answers for everything because this is uncharted territory for everybody. So being able to be vulnerable with our people and really our people want to be able to know that there's a plan. As long as they know that there's a plan, you know, everybody can function. So having those weekly checkpoints access um, to the senior leadership, creating a forum where people can openly ask questions, Um, leveraging your technology. You know, we are, I mean, we amazed ourselves and, you know, know, technology that we never leveraged before, maybe just very slightly, you know, we have been able to really maximize that and using multiple methods to engage with your employees and incorporating video in that. Um, that has been really successful for us. Um, but the other piece that I think is really important that kind of goes in line with all the communication is kind of practicing that radical transparency, right? So you don't want to sugarcoat bad news. Um, and if you don't know something, then admit that you don't know the answer. 
You know, um, our ability to be able to provide clarity is so important during this time. Um, and creating these forums where people have the ability to be able to ask questions, um, you can really preempt very difficult questions and address them before they fester through the organization. So with these checkpoints with our employees, we're able to address things real time, um, provide direction. And then to everybody else's point, you know, people just want transparency. You know, they want us to clearly articulate the why behind the decisions that we're making, because I know, like most companies, we've had to make some really difficult decisions. And so really explaining the why and helping them understand that. Um, and that our approach, like most, has been safety first, you know, exercising a tremendous amount of flexibility because we have a lot of employees that have, have different scenarios at home. You know, they have childcare challenges. They might be taking care of, you know, elderly parents. So we have to be flexible. And then we also have to have compassion. Um, you know, compassion is extremely important during this time and it will continue to be. Um, and I think teaching our leaders to kind of, and it, it sounds kind of elementary, but it's leading through calmness, you know, being clear on what we stand for as an organization and really lean into our values, um, you know, which are guiding principles of our organization, you know, combating uncertainty with definitive language, you know, not letting anything open, you know, because I look at it as clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Okay, so just be very definitive. Um, and then also, there has to be a high level of trust. You know, our leaders have to trust our employees. You know, we're, we're on flex schedules. You know, um, there's, you know, we, we work across a lot of states, so they all have different shelter laws. So we have to really be able to be flexible. Um, and we have to trust that our people can manage themselves. Um, but then we also want to trust that all of our people want to be successful, right? And they're going to work hard. So we need to be able to provide those tools so that they can evaluate their progress. So that's been our big challenge because we've never been virtual. So we have to be able to provide an opportunity for people to know that they're being successful and that they're hitting the metrics that they need to um, and providing guidance and then adjusting as we go, as we need to, which I'm sure all of you have experienced. I mean, every week, has been a different week for us, you know, in a different challenge. And so tackling those things real time, making sure that we communicate. Um, I also think that in times like this, you really need to look at your decision-making process and the decision-making, you know, power so that you don't create bottlenecks so that your business can move forward. That's been a big one for us. You know, you really need to look at the way that you make decisions and so that when things have to move forward as a business, you know, there's not different people or departments that are creating bottlenecks. So that's been, we've been um, having a tremendous intense focus on that. Um, and then also, you know, creating a culture, which has always been a part of our culture, but it's a culture of accountability. So where accountability is really something that is taken, not given, right? Um I think that to effectively run um, remotely or even partially remotely is that you much must structure meetings that are effective, right? Every, you know, facilitating virtual meetings, you know, you've got to have a solid agenda. You know, you can't walk into a meeting without a solid agenda. You've got to incorporate team building questions so that you can create that social interaction with your teams. Um, and then you have to celebrate success. You know, um, we can be Debbie Downers and we can look at the effects on our business, but there are, you know, really focusing on those positive things and reinforcing and taking time to celebrate our success and our progress and our accomplishments during this time as an organization. And so kind of in, in, in closing, you know, we feel that, you know, pouring into our leaders during this time and making sure that our leadership team is completely solid, they're able to be agile, um, really making sure that they have the resources to be able to lead effectively has been um, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's drawn us even closer to our leadership team because we've had to lean even more than we typically would. And that has been, you know, a definite um, accomplishment for us. But I think the reality as I kind of opened it up is that our workforce has changed. And so even in this short period of time, even with our recruiting, you know, people are going to want remote work options. So my um, just challenge to everybody is that you've got to be able to provide the criteria, lay that out very definitively as far as what those remote work kind of policies are. And so that's kind of where our focus has been. Very insightful. Thank you, Sonia. I loved your pieces. I read somewhere recently that the best way to combat fear is through trust, right? You can't fight fear with facts. You have to fight it through trust. And so what I loved about several pieces of your advice is it helps leaders think about how to continue building a culture of trust and hope. Yes. Thank you for that. All right. I know we're running very short on time, but Mark, thank you for hanging in there with us. If we can have just a few more minutes of everyone's time today, we'd love for you to be able to hear from Mark with Verizon. Mark uh, Bryan is a director in field and segment marketing with Verizon Business Group for Verizon, the largest wireless provider with the nation's largest 4G LTE network. In his role, um, Bryan Bryan is responsible for marketing activities supporting the $12 billion business markets organization. During his 14 years with Verizon, Mark has held positions in the company's indirect sales, business sales, marketing channels, as well as its business transformation organization. So, Mark, I know we have just a few minutes left, but we'd really love to hear from you as a leader of sales team. Collaboration and communication is key to success. How are you keeping your sales team focused, engaged, and working during these challenging times? And do you have any of your sales strategy suggestions that you can share with our business members? Yeah, Missy. Hey, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Sonia stole a lot of my thunder when it comes to being very candid with your employees up front with your employees. And you really can't do that unless you have that relationship and they know that you care. So, Sonia, thanks for that. I thought that was uh, very insightful. Listen, I think uh, to be additive here, we uh, we moved uh, 95% of our employees to a work from home environment fairly quickly. And uh, it took a cross collaborative effort uh, with human resources, sales, marketing and operations to be able to do so. So I think first and foremost, uh, from a sales perspective, Uh, making sure that sales is not doing things in a vacuum and that they're engaging human resources, marketing and operations to be able to to set the set the path forward, chart the path forward. Our sales teams right now uh, outside of our retail sales environment, which has been largely scaled down, um, they're all remote. Right. So they're having to engage with their customers in a different way. Um, And it's uh, sometimes it's video, sometimes it's phone calls. But, you know, we're trying to be as respectful as we can be as we engage with those customers around not just our employee safety, but the customer safety as well. So um, a lot of work has gone on there uh, with regards to collaboration tools. So uh, many of you saw we just purchased uh, BlueJeans, which is uh, a competitor of Zoom. Uh, but there's many tools that are out there to be able to collaborate. And we know moving forward, um, you know, our customers and our employees are going to have to rely on those collaboration tools more than ever. Um, you know, I touched on the, the interlock between sales and marketing, but something that, that, that Sonia mentioned is, Um, being very clear communication wise on what the strategy is. A lot of our sales folks are very scared around what's going to happen to their job long term. And we're, you you reassure to some extent, but you're also very factual in what that situation may look like, right? We all know the future of retail is going to look very different. Um, We're trying to chart the path forward and be innovators in that space. Uh, And we're bringing our employees and our sales folks along for that ride and taking their feedback and being very candid with them. Um, being very candid with what we're trying to accomplish, right? Um, I think first and foremost, too, is have fun. You know, we, we have our video calls and we have folks that bring their dogs into the picture or the video. Um, they're dressing up in funny outfits, but it's just making as much light of the situation as you possibly can to keep it fun. And we're doing the same thing with our customers, right? So it's less of a, a sales technique from a sales standpoint. And it's more around, hey, we're here and we're ready to help you. And uh, keeping that as our foundational framework for which we interact with our customers moving forward um, has been a big key for us, right? So we're not in the old sales world um, where it's it's a pricing and promo game. It's more around, hey, what do you need from us to be able to help you in these tough times, right? Um, I think the other piece, too, um, internally is that sharing that your humanity is an asset, right? So if the dog is barking or something crazy happens on screen, we all have our stories um, that uh, we're having some fun with it. And um, 
you know, we're making sure that we're not being stringent around professionalism um, in some of these tough times. Is there a place for that? Of course. Um, but uh, we're not uh, we're not being too stringent there. And then making sure that we have virtual volunteer opportunities for all of our sales folks and all of our employees. You know, we all have goals within our individual teams on the number of volunteer hours that we want to log. That ranges from writing letters to folks in nursing homes. Um, by the way, there's conduits to get all of this done. Um, there's other organizations that we partner with to do so. Um, carry the load, the walk. You know, we had all of our employees, if you so chose, that you could go out and do the carry the load walk. So we have a hundreds of volunteer opportunities that we uh, we take advantage of um, virtually. And then the staying connected and the cadence of communication is extremely important. I have an end of day call with my entire marketing organization. Um, sometimes it's a it's a personal and professional check in. Um, other times it's, hey, we have to get down to business and get some things answered, but we stick to that cadence of call. So people have expectations around when that communication is going to take place. So they have a forum to voice concerns and we're just very open. And hey, if you have something going on, share it with us. We're we're a family. We spend a ton of time together. Um, let's make sure that we're helping each other out and we have each other's back um, during these tough times. And the same thing with our customers as well. Right. So uh, we're staying connected with them. Um, We're offering some of the services that we have internally that we have purchased through partners, extending those out to some of our customers. Um, We issued seven and a half million dollars in grants to help small businesses out uh, during this tough time. And that's through a partnership with LISC. Um, We've worked we're working with business.com, a lot of many, many, many different organizations um, that we're partnering with. And it's more important now than ever to make sure we're reaching out outside of the umbrella of the Verizon uh, or the Verizon umbrella to make sure we're partnering with other, other organizations to bring value to our employees and for our customers. Very good insights, Mark. Thank you for your leadership, but also for the investment on behalf of your company into our communities. That's incredible. I wasn't aware that Verizon was doing so much. So thank you for sharing that. All right. I know we're out of time, but Stacy, do we have time for one or two questions or give us guidance on how we should handle it at this point? Hey, thanks, Misty. Yeah. So um, actually, our pan- several of our attendees have asked questions and our panelists have been right on that. So um, one of the questions that I know was um, directed at Michael um, at Alcon. And it's a lot about keeping your employees engaged and what that looks like. Um, can you speak a little bit to that and how Alcon is keeping the team together? Wait, you're on mute. <laughs> Try again. Uh, oh, you're back. Yes, okay. good. <laughs> yeah. So I saw the question. I put some answers in the chat for the uh, gentleman that asked the question. Uh, one of the things that, we're, that we want to do is make sure that, uh, I think like Mark just said uh, a moment ago, uh, find a way to make it fun. Do what you need to do to continue to engage people. Uh, I love what Jim said. I wrote it down. It was like, don't be so robotic. Don't be like a machine. Just be normal. So I think, well, you're on, a, you're on a virtual call and you want to be so stiff. You know, grab your drink, like Miss tea, have some tea, have some bottled water. Just be normal. Uh, in this new normal, I mentioned earlier, you know, it, it, it's the forward uh, normal rather than going back to normal. So our forward normal is that we do have distractions sometimes at home with our other uh, partners, uh, our dogs, our cats, our children, or whatever the case may be. But as far as engagement overall, we've done virtual bingo. We've done other things to keep our people engaged for those that are working at home. Uh, the other things we've done, I've really, really, the one key point I put in there, it's encouraged my leaders to have like a, a five o'clock or six o'clock stopping point. Because one of the things that I find is that while we are working remotely and virtually at home, people tend to work more hours. They tend to get online more. I've asked my senior leaders, do not send emails late at night because people think they need to respond or whatever like that. You know, you stop, they will stop. You know, so have a call at five. I do that with my team. And I asked them, you know, uh, from a, a, a Pathways to Leadership program that we do here at John's Creek, you know, tell me, guys, what was the best part of the day? Even if you ran into struggles, let's talk about what the best part of the day was. Okay, so now that you've talked about that, notwithstanding everything else, let's celebrate that. All right, let's toast up whatever you have in your hand, tea, coffee, bourbon, that day with me. You know, let's toast that and be happy with that and everything. But by doing that, that late in the afternoon call, it encourages you as a leader to say, guys, now sign off, go give your family what they need, 
now, even though you've been there, hopefully you've been in your space that you need to be in right there. So those are ways that you can continue to engage. The last point that I put down in there is I continue to uh, encourage the five ERG employee resources groups that we have to be interactively, socially uh, with the campus, with people to make sure that they stay engaged, whether it's our, our uh, Asian, our kind of Asian group or our uh, African accessory group or women in network group, or just all the different groups. Uh, ERG, stay connected there as well. That keeps our employees also engaged. And we have talked about it. We Again, we've sent videos from the senior leadership teams and we've standed up and we've applauded our team, especially for our production techs that still have to be here, but as well as for those working remote to continue to make sure we meet demand. Uh, we said that we will celebrate when this is all over and we plan a big celebration. Uh, we, we look forward to planning that celebration once we are able uh, to do that. But those are my thoughts on how you continue to engage associates, how you make sure that you end the day for those that are working remotely, timely, so that they can now turn their focus to their families and things of that nature. Thanks, Michael. I know I, I appreciate all the panelists. I can see that everybody has some of the general ideas um, the same of be, be clear and communicate with your teams and give everybody a little bit of grace during this period as dogs are barking and kids are running around. That, that makes us human and normal. So I appreciate all of your comments on that. Uh, Callie, you have a few last words? I do. Um, I guess foremost, thank you to all of our panelists. Y'all have been absolutely wonderful. I've got my notes going over here. And so always good um, even if we think we're doing all the right things to be reminded of the personal things and the things that do make us human, as Stacy mentioned. So I really want to thank you all. Um, you guys have been a great resource to all of us. also want to thank our moderator, Misty Fernandez. Misty, thank you and Georgia Power for uh, today's program and sponsorship. And um, we just really appreciate you did a, a fabulous job facilitating this. So thank you. Um, our next economic recovery webinar forum, and we're doing these weekly in May, will actually be next Thursday, May 28th, where we've got a panel of banking experts who are talking about the financial end of all of this. So uh, more info about the PPP, um, repayment, forecasting, and cash flow, and how all of this can impact your business. You can register, as always, on our website at gnfcc.com, and we'll send you the Zoom information. Thank you all uh, for joining us today. We appreciate your time as well, and we look forward to seeing you next Thursday. Thanks.